yes, it's episode 23 of Cambro Conversations and today we are joined for the second time by David Hatt, founder and head coach at MTN Coaching. And today's episode is a little bit different to what we discussed previously around his business and his growth in that space. We are discussing between us the 10 things that we wish we knew when starting our fitness journey. Between us, we both have over a decade each of training experience and a whole host of mistakes and lessons that we learned during that period. Hopefully you enjoy it. There's five each from from both of us. A few funny ones in there across a range of topics, training, nutrition, recovery, and there's a bonus 11th one. So if you listen all the way to the end, you can have a good laugh at my expense. Hopefully you enjoy this one and I look forward to hearing what you all think. Let's get into it. Hello folks, welcome back. It's another episode of Cambro Conversations and today I'm joined by previous guest in the show, David Hatt, the head coach and founder of MTN Coaching. And tonight we're going to be speaking about 10 things that we wish we knew when we started getting into fitness. Five from myself and five from David. And you're probably going to have a bit of an insight into some of the trials and tribulations that we went through over the years. David, welcome to the pod or welcome back to the podcast. I know, am I the first, um, second time guest, is that right? Um, yes, you are, a special occasion. Special occasion, totally different topic tonight though, so it should be, uh, should be pretty interesting and a good comparison to compare with what we kind of spoke about last time. Last time was more the business side of things and this is a lot more kind of to the heart of, I suppose, what I do with clients or what I do with motor training and nutrition. So yes, very interesting topics tonight. Exactly. And between us, we've got a lot of training experience now. I worked out, I've probably been lifting weights for 11 years now since I first started at the rugby club. So it's been a long, long time. And I imagine you started how long ago? I probably was, uh, I was probably doing some form of resistance training from, you know, 14, 15, probably in the weights room, definitely like 15. So yeah, that's that's 10, 10, 11 years, probably a really similar time frame. Um, But yeah, yeah, it was interesting how how my training's actually changed so dramatically over the over the last 10 years first it was kind of more of a kind of focus on athletic development and strength and power and then a bit more into how I look and then more recently it's probably a bit more just you know training for enjoyment and training for health to be honest as much as the, the looking good and feeling good is still a big importance to me but um yeah interesting yeah exactly so I, I guess between us over two decades of experience in terms of lifting weights and a lot of mistakes amongst that as well when it comes to both nutrition and training and what we'll do as a as a format then is we'll do your five first and we'll do my five and i know you're going to split it in terms of what is it you want to do three three that you've learned yeah. yourself yeah i think I'll, I'll cover three things that i've you know really learned and that's changed for me but also um one or two things that have changed for clients as well like the way i maybe used to approach coaching clients and i suppose it's, it's similar to how i approach my own training and stuff as well but it's had a had a more kind of carry over to the clients i suppose yeah we're all about practicing what you preach as you would have heard on the previous podcast if you've not heard that with david but um let's let, let's get into it then what was the first thing that you <laughs> wish you knew when you were starting getting really into your fitness and your training um, I think it's it's going to be one that we've discussed quite a lot in depth before, and it's going to be 
single muscle group workouts not being the most effective and being pretty suboptimal to be honest when it comes to to building muscle um, and it's, it's the way that myself and you trained when we first got into a more kind of bodybuilding style of training and basically what this means guys if anyone isn't aware is you know each day you would have chest mondays was the classic uh, maybe maybe you'd hit legs tuesday it would be shoulders and a um shoulders on a wednesday so you're basically splitting five or six days across the week into single muscle groups and the reason it is suboptimal is because it doesn't really allow you to accrue as much volume across the week so if you were to look at you know maximal muscle growth you kind of want to be hitting things two or three times a week and if you're only hitting one muscle group once a week yes you will be able to you know com completely take it to failure but you'll probably really struggle to to then train that muscle group again you know um, the following days after that so yeah it's, it's definitely something I've learned and something I've changed both in my own training and my clients training going from you know chest days and leg days to maybe more of an upper body and a lower body split or even more recently doing a lot of full body uh, full body workouts as well so this definitely depends on how many training sessions you do per week yeah uh, if you're someone that, you know only trains twice a week I would recommend two full body um, sessions if you're someone that does four I would probably go with an upper lower upper lower so it, it does depend on a lot of things but if you look at any of the kind of studies done if you look at any of the work by someone like Jeff Nippar or Eric Helms they've been doing a lot into um, like training frequency for muscular growth and it's definitely um, more favorable to to do the, the full body and the upper lower workouts. As a, as a bit of a caveat we both know that although that training is suboptimal if you really love it we know that the enjoyment side of it is quite high but you're 100% leaving gains and, and progress on the table by going in and doing 40 sets of chest one day, 40 sets of shoulders the next because you're smoked. And like your secondary muscles, like your triceps after the chest day are going to be absolutely beat up for two or three days after that as well, which is part of the yeah. problem when people get into that, that rut. And I know we were both guilty of having an arm day, weren't we? So... Uh... <laughs> I'll do throw that in now and then, but I'm actually surprised at how how we did recover. Like I also do remember, like any leg day I done would ruin me, and it's like that was almost like a badge of honor. And it was the same with chest day, like oh yeah, I can't move, can't move my shoulders, and it's like that was a badge of honor. And I think it's like a learning curve that I feel like young guys specifically kind of almost need to take um, along the way. Not need to, but it's been good. It did teach you. Um, it teaches you how to train hard. Um, it forces your body to try and recover pretty fast as well, if I'm being honest. So there is some benefits, like you said, from the enjoyment standpoint as well. Like I do love, you know, doing a chest day, but I couldn't train now how I used to train. Like the the, the amount of volume that I used to have on single muscle groups was crazy. Like like you said, forty sets. Like I'd be doing six or seven exercises for my chest alone. Sets, um, twelve reps, crazy stuff. You know, now I probably in my upper body days I'll probably throw in two or three. Um, but I, I would say, like I did see, I did still see significant growth. That probably goes down to more of the fact that I was new to training, less to do with the fact that it was a good way to train. So, um, yeah, no, I think like, what's your training split right now, Colin? Like, if you were to be in the gym, I know it's maybe a little bit all over the place. Push, push, pull, legs, upper, lower, or push, pull, legs, push, pull. Because my legs yeah. now, despite what people would maybe say on Instagram sometimes, my legs are a serious strength in my physique in terms of the size of my quads and hamstrings my calves are terrible yeah. everyone knows that but when yeah. it comes to wearing like suits and jeans and clothes 
my legs now are just so much bigger than my waist. I've got I've got twenty eight to thirty inch waist pretty much year round. So it's impossible yeah. when you train legs to fit into stuff. So having done legs twice a week for four or five years, I've kind of earned the right to pull back from that. So mostly it's a five day a week split, push pull, heavy leg session, push pull, and yeah. I'll do calves on like one of the one of the push days as an extra to get calves twice a week. And then, um, like you say, I, that's entirely me just making sure I've got that frequency and making sure that I'm in a position where I'm progressing. I've not like I've definitely done like you when I moved away from the strength and conditioning stuff at rugby. I was doing those chest days, uh, arm days, leg days, and you love it. It's great fun, but there's so much wasted sets like some of the sets you were doing at the end of the workout they're like half reps they're like partials you're just getting a great pump but i wonder how much of that you're actually building muscle on maybe just burning yeah. calories like i think it would be really interesting to go back and train and you know have the training knowledge now and see what kind of development i had in the first two or three years of training with this style of training uh, because I, I'm, I'm a very similar training split to you i would normally do you know, if I'm doing four days a week, I would just do two upper and two lower. And if I'm doing five, it would be a, an upper lower and a push-pull legs. So if you look at that, guys, like if you're doing, for, for example, that five-day split, upper, lower, push-pull legs, you're hitting some form of upper body movement three times a week. You're hitting some form of lower body probably three times a week if you do deadlifts in your pull session as well. So um, there, is, there is a much greater chance for you to basically accumulate more overall volume within each muscle group. So it is a really good way to train. So... Uh, like I said, if anyone needs help with like how many, like what type of workout they should be doing, or you know a training split, like drop me a message after this just yeah. to run through it quickly. Two days would be full body, three days probably a push pull legs, or three full bodies work really well. We've, four uh, days would upper lower, upper lower. What are you saying, sorry? We've uh, we've we've got a good episode with Lewis as part of um, MTN who covers this in full depth. So um, oh, if, okay. people, if if people want to go back to that one, they can do as well. But equally ping David a message and that is absolutely one of the big lessons that we, we probably both had as number one yeah. where we loved that single body part session it probably developed our love for training as well but we definitely left maybe a little bit of progress on the table just based on the the scientific yeah. side of things it's also one of those ones where we look back in five or ten years and then go ah oh, actually there's a new there's no scientific data that says you should be training like that so it'll be interesting to see um you know what what it says like i i think there's going to be there, there already has been a huge favor of full body training like a lot of natural bodybuilders that i follow are favoring yeah. you know three or four full body sessions per week um so yeah i think it'll be quite interesting to see how that swings and how that changes uh, over the next you know five to ten years the last point on the single body stuff and um, before we move on and we probably will touch on similar topics linked to it is the injury side of things because i know that yeah form towards the end of a like a one one a day one a week leg day where you were literally trying to crawl out the gym there was yeah. some pretty questionable stuff going on and you were trying to move as much as you could on like a heavy lunge or a or a, a, a drop set on a leg extension you're just wondering at what point do i create some challenges both for my muscles but maybe my tendons my my joints um so i guess that was the other kind of part of a a single body part split where you're putting yourself at risk a little bit yeah for sure no, i'd completely agree i think like rotator cuffs for like you know any in chest day that were just ruined because you would do so much pressing work and back then there was very little 
like we actually we didn't really do much warming up. You know, you do a few face pulls and you would jump in and do fifteen pressing exercises. So, um, yeah, like rotator cuffs, hip injuries, nothing like crazy like bad. I've never really been badly injured, and I think you're quite similar. But just niggles that probably wouldn't have been caused if you split your training volume a little bit more across the week. That's it. So if we get on to onto things you wish you were in number two, Mr. Hat, where are we going? We're going for a nutrition one this time or are we still on training? Um, let's stick with, well, lifestyle, I suppose. Uh, okay. I, I would just say one of the biggest things that I've learned in quite recent years, if I'm being honest, probably over the last two, is the importance of like sleep for recovery um, or just the importance of recovery when it comes to muscle building. Because I think a lot of people are under the misconception that when they go to the gym, they're building muscle. When in reality, when they're going to the gym, they're tearing you know you're actually tearing muscles you're creating micro tears within muscle fibers so a lot of people say oh, i'm going to the gym to get jacked technically you should be going to your bed to get jacked you should be eating protein jacked. you should be you know drinking more water to get jacked um and these that's like a, a very big misconception like you're not building muscle when you're in the gym you're tearing muscle it's doing the right things out with the gym that will allow you to build more muscle and that's definitely something i spent years doing wrong um uh, in the last podcast podcast I spoke about you know early rises getting up at half four and grind and all this like in, from a business standpoint that was great but when I look at you know health and I look at actually recovering from my gym sessions which if I'm being honest were probably more intense back then and um, I wouldn't have been getting that great recovery because I was only getting you know six hours sleep and it was a good six hours like it was all the way through but I wasn't you know I didn't have the right recovery protocols in place so I would say if there's any kind of newbies to the gym listening to this start worrying a little bit less about every single session and start worrying more about the other, you know, 23, 20, um, 22 hours of the day. Like if you're in the gym for one hour a day, great, but what are you doing for the other 22 or 23? And a big part of that should be sleep and trying to optimize your sleep. Um, so like next to sleep, you'd probably be looking at hydration for recovery and then, you know, adequate calories, adequate protein. That's the you know holy trinity of things that i suppose you, you need um sleep is sleep is number one if you're not getting sleep you're not recovering you're also missing out on a huge amount of like cognitive fu- cognitive function like you know yourself how bad you feel if you don't get a good night's sleep um so yeah from a mental and physical performance standpoint lack of sleep is going to affect everything dramatically and of course recovery yeah, so when you were first getting really serious about your training like you say you were working those crazy days that we spoke about exercise for less building that business, working with clients from 5am all the way through till 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock at night. So sleep-wise, you were limited in your window. And although you had some time in the middle of the day, and I know that some PTs who have to work those days should try and incorporate like naps or whatever it is during the day to try and clock up towards that seven, eight, nine hours that they're aiming for, it's a, it's, it's a huge factor in performance. I mean, like you say, I know when, if I've not, had my eight to nine hours, which I typically aim for, I notice it in work. My concentration's lower. I'm more likely to reach my phone and check it. I'm more likely to lose my train of thought when I'm having a conversation like this or when I'm on the phone to somebody. It's obvious. You that discipline, I find. Like, you don't have the same, you know, almost, you don't have the same integrity to yourself. Like, you'll, you'll tell yourself that you're not going to check your phone, but if you're tired, like, you almost don't, it's a lack of concentration. You don't have that same, like, oh, I wasn't meant to do this or I was meant to do this. So, yeah, I think, like, sleep, sleep one from a recovery standpoint and two from a performance standpoint in the gym. Like, the better sleep you get, the better sessions that you'll have as well. So, don't just look at it for recovery, look at it for the actual sessions that you're doing as well. It's funny, I was never a morning person at school or 
at uni. When I used to have a nine o'clock lecture at uni, I was like, oh, this is brutal. Me having to get the, the 7.45 bus or the train, I was like, oh, that's terrible. And, and that, that, that was quite funny compared to nowadays where I'm up like a lark. But I was always a big fan of going to bed early because we had a rugby coach when I played district rugby at under 16s, I think it was. And he said to us that the hours before midnight count twice. Now, that's not, that's not true. But I was like, if I can get to bed at 10 o'clock yeah. and sleep, then the, the two hours before midnight are worth four. So I'm getting yeah. like more hours sleep. And to be fair... Even though it's not true, some of these sometimes these things actually pay off. So I've always been somebody that liked like an early bedtime. I mean, don't get me wrong, at uni I was sometimes having an early bedtime during the week and then still lying into like nine o'clock because you're just yeah. so you're just so lazy. That not lazy, but that you're kind of not, maybe not got the same purpose or the same uh, routine. But I, I touch wood, I've always been a fairly good sleeper in terms of getting down early. The quality probably yeah. not fantastic because playing on my phone and stuff like that and. I promise the listeners that I've got somebody really interesting coming to talk about sleep on a higher level. So I'm glad David, David's yeah. brought that up. So in future episodes, we're going to have a doctor on to talk about sleep. So we'll, uh, that's, a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a spoiler for anyone that's uh, tuned in about future episodes. But yeah, I love that when it comes to, comes to recovery, David. Um, yeah. That focus for you. And that's a big priority for your clients as well because you ask as part of your, your check-ins how their sleep's been and how they've been getting on with that. Yeah, like we take into account a lot of factors. It's not just like, how's your weight? How's your week been? Have you trained? It's, you know, we, we delve into probably uh, is it 15, between 12 and 15 different factors every single week. I mean, we get them to rate that out of, you know, between one and 10, and, and then we can see how things are. Because it's one thing that some people don't even realize can lead to a lot of progress in other areas of your life. So, yeah, you're, some people, let's, let's say, for example, they've got a fat loss goal and they're maybe not losing weight every single week. But, you know, their rating out of, out of 10 for sleeps went from 3 to 5 to 6 to 7 to 8 to 9. Like, these are other things that you can monitor. And for me, being like, we, we always say it's fitness and lifestyle. Like, it's not just, we're not just fat loss coaches and body composition coaches. It's fitness and lifestyle. And that's a huge part of someone's lifestyle. And um, so if we can improve that through training, through nutrition, through various tips, I'll probably, I'll not go into them if you're getting a doctor on. I'll, um, I'll let him go into that. But, like, certain things you know, can improve your sleep, then... Um, that's that's a huge one for us and it's a huge one for clients because like I said it's got a knock on effect every aspect of your life not just training yeah big time that quality of sleep like I say we'll, we'll get onto that in a, in, a, in a future episode but again it's not just about the time that you clock up it's about the quality of that as well which is so key for recovery what's number three then David what did you what, what else did you wish you knew I'm, I'm torn I'm torn here I'm gonna go a kind of hybrid answer so the, the first thing that I wrote down was the role of carbs and fats being less important for body composition results than people think. Um, and the second, I suppose it's linked anyway, is the importance of good quality food sources. So they, they do obviously tie into one another. What I mean by this is for so long in my own training, I used to track every single gram of fats, proteins, carbs, and of course my calories as well. Um, don't get me wrong, like I've, I've got in pretty good shape. I've got very lean before, like definitely like well under 10% body fat um, and that was done through you know tracking meticulously but in the re recent years I have you know I've, I've done a little bit of reading I've done a little bit of research and a lot of the stuff coming out is suggesting that providing calories and protein are matched the actual quantity of carbs and fats mean very little when it comes to body composition goals so uh, I dieted last summer again and all I done was stick to 3,000 calories roughly and 180 protein. Didn't look at carbs and fats at all. 
um, and I just you know made up my diet of the usual kind of food sources. So that was quite interesting because I dropped weight at a very similar rate, um, and I didn't you know notice. I actually found it much easier because what happens when you start focusing on carbs and fats so kind of minutely, you get dead caught up on you know you can't eat certain things because it's not fitting your fat intake or your carb intake. Yeah. Whereas if you've got that little bit of balance and freedom, your your food choices become a lot more flexible again. Um, so I think I probably it's what we do with clients now we focus on two factors for nutrition usually and it's just calories and protein which has been working phenomenally well because it gives the clients that freedom as well you're absolutely right and i've been the same as you and i guess that's one that we probably wish we knew when we started to get more serious i guess when we were young guys and we we were just smashing in the protein and the calories we probably weren't too aware of tracking in 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 the early stages well i certainly wasn't anyway but when we started to get that knowledge about if it fits your macros and tracking and um, my fitness pal, I was exactly the same. I really cared about, did I go over my 60 grams of fat or did I have my 340 grams of carbs? Um, when really it's that total calorie number and then the protein for muscle, pro- muscle protein synthesis and then kind of maintaining or, or, or gaining muscle that's important rather than exact numbers of fat or exact number of carbs. It's not, it's not massively important. What I would say to add on to that, guys, is like if you're looking at performance, then carbs and fats do matter. If you're looking at you know optimal levels of sport performance, or if you're an athlete, you compete in something, then yes, carbs and fats do matter, and the timing of them actually matters a lot more as well. So that's one thing to consider. But if you're someone that's just looking to shed a few pounds, you're looking to get a little bit leaner, or the opposite, you're just looking to add some muscle, but you're not you know crazy crazy serious about it. And um, focus on calories, focus on protein. If you're looking to take things to that other level, then yes. Um, maybe do look at carb and, and fat intakes as well, but uh, providing you're eating a fairly balanced diet, like you should be, you should be consuming an adequate amount of those. When you look at carbs, you can actually live without them. Like you can get by without them. I wouldn't suggest that. Um, but like when it comes to fats, you do need fats for for brain health, for hormone functions, and for a load of other things within the body. So I would say you know fats should be getting a healthy fat intake should be still a bit of a focus don't just completely throw it out the window and make up your diet full of just carbs um but yeah when it comes to body composition results like calories and protein are ting like that should be like where your um where your kind of really big focuses are on absolutely i've got a significant carbohydrate bias when it comes to having tracked over the years so my food choices generally will be more fats because you would always go for like the lean mince the lean chicken breast rather than chicken thighs you would go for lean or clean carb sources that typically yeah. don't have a lot of fat with them. So rather than buying like roast potatoes that are pre-made at the supermarket, you're having like you're making your own roast potatoes, or you're uh, you're having rice or pasta with low-fat sauce with it in terms of like a tomato rather than a cream-based sauce. So my automatic choices with regards to fats tend to be lower. So when I even when I'm not having like a strict fat or carb distribution. Yeah. I've always responded. I've always kind of favored carbs and I know that my training responds better to it. So when you're talking about performance, I do think that's an important caveat where yeah. I'm trying to eke out that extra couple of reps on a, on a movement that I've been rinsing and repeating for eight years. Then it, it, it does matter how many carbs or if I'm favoring carbs over fats, but equally I know people that respond better to having a higher fat diet for like you say, hormone health, brain function, but also some people respond a lot better digestion wise to fats than carbs and vice versa. So there's a lot of caveats, but 
that brings me on to, I suppose, what I wanted to touch on as well and in, in, in the sense of the importance of good quality food sources. And for me, I much prefer a higher fat diet, not based on gym performance, not based on aesthetics, but based on like cognitive function and brain health and how I actually feel I perform. So like I'm a big fan of having a fairly like ketogenic um, breakfast um, or fasting and then having a really big lunch that's just like I eat steak and I eat salmon like all day. Um, so I have steak most days for breakfast, like steak, eggs, broccoli. So just like complete fats, that little bit of, I mean, I don't really count veggies uh, as carbs that much, but um, that, you know, high fat intake for me seems to work a lot better for my concentration levels for just general, like staying switched on. So I do favor like a much fat, higher fat diet when I am like got maybe a really intense amount of work to do. But yeah. I would say when I'm and I'm training hard, I'd probably bump my carbs up and you know lower my fats a little bit um a little bit more so yeah like that's that's just to touch on this real quick like food quality um should be more of an importance and it's only been more of an importance for me probably over the last 18 months to two years because as you know like I used to be able to diet on you know three and a half four thousand calories and I could fill them with absolute crap like I used to eat like I remember you used to put KFC in your Instagram story and you were getting lean yeah, and I did because my, my output was so high, so like my, my steps were so high, my general movement was so high that I could actually fit in a lot of that food, which was fine, and that's what I'm talking about, that's for body composition, but if I look back, I could have felt a whole lot fucking better, um, I could have performed better, I probably would have slept better, I would have had lower stress, uh, I wouldn't have had like bad acne, things like this, so that's what you need to look at for food for, yeah, food quality, like you need to be looking at good good. Um, good quality food sources rather than yeah no but I can fill it through KFC yeah. and McDonald's or gummy sweets or whatever that's fine but that should make up a very small percent of your diet and I used to say yeah yeah like 80 20 I follow the 80 20 approach see when I looked into it it was probably like 60 40 or something 50 50 that's reason the funny part that's yeah, the reason part David really funny because my calories are so high and you you'll know this as well like if you are someone that can you know consume a fair amount of calories with minimal fat gain you do find you'll tend after after a period of time you'll tend to favor higher calorie food sources because they're easier to eat like trying to eat four thousand calories of you know clean food is brutal in your digestive system for one but it's just brutal to actually eat that amount of food so um yeah there's a balance like food sources are more important than what a lot of people put focus on um for performance for general health markers that people don't look at for lowering stress like i said um even things like dealing with anxiety like and depression like the food sources that you do consume can contribute to bettering or worse worsening worsening that so yeah it's something to be you know don't just you know just because you can lose weight on eating these food sources doesn't mean you should that's so true and just to touch on your point there in mental health there is a, there's a number of studies and the guest that we had on episode 22 was an anxiety specialist eating high sugar ice creams or low glycemic carbs does have a link to potentially uh, increasing anxiety or uh, poor ment- mental cognitive function, which is, is is one of the reasons that you see quite a lot of keto diets for patients who have struggled with um, with with mental health. And if there's if they're yeah. doing that and getting results, then there, there's probably something to it. But out there, like I'm, I'm an advocate of ketogenic diets. Like, see from a health standpoint, I think they're absolutely amazing. The results some people get on them. Don't get me wrong, you don't need to go keto to get results, but from, um, what was it, who was it I was watching? 
think it was an Ed Milet podcast, um, and he had a, a brain doctor on, like a neuroscientist, uh, and the guy was like, everyone that comes to him with anxiety and depression gets put on a ketogenic diet, pretty much like that, and he says, without any medication, most of the adverse effects are like, not cured, but you know, they get a lot better very quickly. Um, like your brain is made up of a lot of fat, like the actual tissue of your brain is pretty much just fat. So fueling that with fat is beneficial for it. So yeah, like I'm a fan of kind of high fat foods, eggs, steak, salmon, olive oil, I eat a lot of pumpkin seeds, Brazil nuts, these kind of things. So these are things that if you're maybe not so worried about calories and you just want to eat healthier food sources, I would begin by looking at higher fat um, healthy food sources because I've noticed a big change in how I feel and how I perform from a, a mental standpoint with that. And yeah, like that's definitely something to look into if you're maybe if you're in the corporate world and you're maybe not as fussed about body composition or training, but you want to like function well in your job, then something to look into. Yeah, so to summarize that point three there, calories and protein are the most important for body composition, but equally the quality of what you fill those calories with is super important both for your performance but also your cognitive function in your in, in your day-to-day and although we've segued a wee bit there about anxiety depression and managing that <laughs> it's still a super valuable topic and it just makes me laugh when you and i are able to have these chats and you're looking at some pts that are still posting online got two spaces open for my new online coaching block and we're and we're talking about this david <laughs> it's also important to highlight the fact that pretty much everything that we touch on tonight will tie into another subject which ties into another subject which then ties into you know like everything goes around in circles uh, cycles, sorry. So, like, you know, your sleep affects your mood, which affects your nutrition, which affects your training, which affects your recovery, which then affects your sleep again. So, like, all these things are linked into each other. So, if you can try and nail like just one or two of these things, whether it's sleep or stress or food quality or food quantity or you know protein or whatever it is, like, they'll have a knock-on effect. Yeah. Um, like, like we discussed as well, like protein is very filling. So, if you're eating a lot of you know high-protein foods, you're probably going to have less cravings, which is going to lead to better dietary adherence, which is going to lead, lead to better fat loss results, which is going to lead to lower stress levels, which is going to lead to better sleep. Uh, so yeah, like they, they all do tie into each other. Yeah, it's never ending. And like you say, you can get momentum by nailing one of those. What's uh, what's up at number four then, David? So I'll try and speed this one up a little bit. Um, I thought I would give you two things that have changed quite dramatically for me from a client perspective. And of course, this is the same with my own training, but it's more what I've noticed with clients in the first one or the fourth one, I suppose, here, um, is increasing your neat or increasing your general movement from day to day being a lot more important for fat loss than exercise or exercise selection specifically. Um, so what I mean by this is a lot of people really get caught up on how many gym sessions they do a week rather than how much they've actually moved that week. And when it comes to fat loss goals, which is probably where my niche lies, um, you know, training is very important, don't get me wrong, but generally just moving more is of the utmost importance. And it's something that not a lot of people put an importance on. And they're more like, yeah, I've I've done eight sessions this week. Yeah, but you've you've only had 5,000 steps each day. Um, So that's one thing that I've noticed, like as soon as I started changing this with clients, I was like, oh, they've, they're losing two pounds every week they're losing two pounds every single week all i've done is give them a step target um so yeah i'd say that's number four steps are very very important for fat loss goals yeah they're huge david i've spoken about this so many times in the pod that we live such a sedentary lifestyle and i I dropped a figure on the pod with uh, talia bentley that the average uk step count when i checked in november last year was four thousand steps so 
people, but the thing Jesus. is, dude, people people who work in a nine five office, they work in an office nine five. They get on the trainer, they get in their car, they go to the office, they sit down at their desk until lunchtime. They sometimes don't even leave the desk. They sometimes go to the canteen or they go out to get, get a sandwich, go upstairs. That's a thousand steps. And then they're yeah. at the desk from one until five and then they get in the car and then they go to their couch. Or even if they do train after work, they go to a gym, they do a weight training session like they do. They're ticking their boxes, your session, and then they go home. So they're not accumulating any neat, like you say, they're not getting a walk at lunch. They're not walking before work. They're not commuting on foot or on their bicycle or whatever. It's a really sedentary lifestyle and you can see why people have such low calorie maintenances because if you don't move, there's no reason for your body to need calories other than that one hour out of exercise that you do. And I guess I've seen so many people who would consider themselves really healthy that train five or six days a week, but they don't really move outside of that. And it's guys that have a decent amount of muscle, but they diet on like 2000 calories because their step counts like 3000. Um, yeah. And that's why you find that's why you find most personal trainers can lose weight fairly quickly and fairly easily. It's actually less to do with their knowledge and more to do with the fact that they've got a very, very active job. Because we both know a huge number of PTs that are fucking clueless, let's be honest. But yeah. they get pretty atlas results because they move a lot and because, you know, they weight train and they eat loads of protein. Um but yeah, like I I would say like steps is such an under it's an underutilized tool still. Um, there's just not enough emphasis on it, and it should be probably one of the first things that you address if you've got a fat loss goal. Yeah, just the last point on that before we move on. One of the worst things that I see PTs do, and I saw it firsthand a couple of times last year when, and I actually don't like when this happens, I actually feel a bit uncomfortable, when somebody shows me what their PTs ask them to do and tries to almost run it by me on Instagram or WhatsApp, and I think, Right, you're paying them, you need to ask them this question. But what I see quite a lot is, right, you've got your five weight training sessions and you've got three sessions, 20 minutes, 30 minutes on the Stairmaster or on the treadmill, yeah. the cardio, but you've got no step count. So yeah. the stupidest thing you can do is set somebody a really high cardio session. And you see it quite a lot. People have like, in their, if they're prepping for a show or a shoot or whatever, they have like five or six cardio sessions a week for like, 45 minutes an hour so they are dying in, in terms of like energy levels they're on the lowest food they've ever been on they're training they're putting all their energy into their thing your body will auto regulate and you will try and sit down at every opportunity you will take the yeah. lift as much as possible you'll take the escalator rather than the stairs your body's clever it's going to try and conserve energy so if you have a cardio target but your coach hasn't assigned you a step target then they are missing the the forest for the trees they have completely missed a massive point yeah, and I think that's touching on that. It's something that I feel uh, people don't adjust often enough either. Like as you know, when you start to diet down, like the lower and the lower in body weight you get, usually the lower in calories you need to go. Mm-hmm. Um, one way to keep your calories higher is just increase your steps. And last year, like again, when I dieted on, like I said, I dieted on three thousand calories, one hundred eighty grams of protein. I didn't change my calorie count for a full eight weeks. All I done was increase my steps by a thousand each week. Started on ten k, and when it got to week eight, I was doing eighteen thousand a day, which is quite a lot. Um, but I dropped six kilo in eight weeks, and you know, six kilo for someone like me is a decent amount of weight to drop. Um, so yeah, you do need to if you're if you've got a fat loss goal, you've kind of got two options. And for me, it's not increase cardio; it's increase steps or decrease um, calories, and that's that's what we tell clients. It's very rare that we add a huge amount of 
cardio, if I'm being honest, I would much rather my clients just run another 5k steps um, or 7k across the week or something. You can be sociable doing it as well. You can go walk with your, your partner, your mum, your, 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 your friend, or you can, or like I do in the morning, I'll go out and walk and I'll make a phone call or I'll listen to a podcast. It's a great time to, to do it. Yeah. So num- num- number four, all about the neat in terms of uh, just what you're doing in the gym. Yeah. What What's number five, David? And again, this is a, this is a client-related one, isn't it? Yeah, um, both client and I think it's just interesting for people to kind of, it's just interesting to highlight, to be honest. Uh, the fact that you don't need to be doing the big three when you're training. Now, what I mean by the big three is squatting, bench pressing and deadlifting. And a lot of people seem to be, I was one of these people, um, stuck in the fact that they need to be doing them. They're like the holy grail to, to weight training. Like if you're in the gym, why are you not squatting? Why are you not benching? And why are you not deadlifting? And the more experience I gain, um, the more I realise that some people shouldn't ever deadlift. Some people probably shouldn't squat. Uh, most people can bench press to some degree, but based on mechanics and based on genetics as well, or based on experience, based on you know injuries or mobility, sometimes you just shouldn't be doing these movements. And I myself used to make all of my clients do them. It doesn't matter what their goal was. I remember training a client that was about 120 kilo and first few sessions I was like okay let's squat and deadlift like she couldn't move like walking for her was an issue and I was trying to get her to do a pretty complex movement with a barbell uh, and I remember you like you, you've always been quite not anti-squat and deadlift but you never really had them featured heavily for a long period of time in your workouts because you, for the right reasons you were like I don't really feel them where I want to grow and you know, they, they put me under a huge amount of fatigue. So you didn't actually get what you wanted from that exercise. Um, for me, like, I put them in because my goals were always, like, strength and athleticism and stuff. So it made more sense. But you've always been a little bit more bodybuilding style and more about aesthetics. Would I be correct saying that? Yeah, you're absolutely spot on. I remember you used to give me a lot of hassle when we trained together. You'd be like, I can't believe we're not doing barbell bench press. I can't believe we're going to train legs and we're not going to do barbell squats or front squats. Because... Like you say, I just we can, we'll get on to why I didn't really bench pressing when we get into my five. But the squat side of things, there was a period where I squatted all the time with rugby, and I never had big legs ever. I, I wasn't growing big legs because all I was doing was squatting, and I just wasn't stimulating. I was moving weight. I like I was reasonably strong at it. Like at like sixteen, seventeen years old, you're doing hundred kilos, and that's yeah. that's like that's like a big thing because you get two plates in the on the barbell. But my legs weren't big because I wasn't stimulating them particularly well. I wasn't doing lots of accessories that actually were hitting my whole leg. So when it came to like actually growing my legs and I decided to, I would do things like a, my kind of compound movement was a, was, a, was a stiff leg deadlift with dumbbells. And then I would do like a hack squat or I would do a Smith machine squat. And honestly, I used to get pelters for doing the Smith squat, but my legs came on leaps and bounds because I was just locked in and I just took it there for four or five sets with, quite significant weight by the time I got good at it but barbell squats I used to just come forward and it was probably a mobility thing my ankles or my, my hips and I've never really explored that although during the lockdown I've been doing a lot more goblet squats just due to the equipment I've had access to and it's yeah. been a lot better but like you say to really if your goal is body composition the big three play a role depending on maybe from a time efficiency perspective in terms of getting bang for your buck but in terms of actual muscle activation there's lots of different options for hitting those muscles yeah i'd completely agree and i think it's very much it's very individualized because some people um 
Dale Burke, um, that works with an MTN, his legs grew massively through like you know continuous back squatting. Whereas yeah. I've always been able to squat like a very decent amount. Like I've always been able to squat a decent amount, but I've never had big quads. So like I used to muscle that the weight up with my lower back, with my abs. Like I wasn't actually targeting what I thought I was wanting to do, which was you know build my quads. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like I, I definitely. I, I still, I will always probably squat bench and deadlift because I enjoy them still. And I, I've got, you know, pretty good mobility. Um, and I don't use my squat as like a muscle building exercise. I just use it as a general, like, this is hard. This is going to challenge me yeah. exercise. And deadlifts, you know me, like, I just love deadlifting. So that's always been something that I've kept in and will keep in. But yeah, I think especially with clients, like, I'm very wary of who should be doing certain movements. And I was always, you know, making people do conventional deadlifts, conventional squats, whereas now I'm a bit more like, you know what, Bulgarian squat squats will suit them a lot more. They've got a much deeper range of movement. They're going to actually activate a lot more muscles. Um, or maybe for deadlifts, the amount of deadlift variations, like I almost always use a trap bar for beginners now. Like always, it's such a good movement. And it's so fucking easy to learn. Whereas looking at how to deadlift properly, it's actually quite complex. And if someone's coming to me for fat loss, I'm spending eight weeks teaching a deadlift, they're a bit like, I've, I've only lost two kilo. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, but you can deadlift 120. They're like, my goal wasn't to deadlift. So um, <laughs> you need to look at your client's specific goals and, you know, exercise selection needs to be um, coherent to that, I suppose. Yeah, you're absolutely bang on there, David. And that's certainly been reflected in, in my training when that's been my goals. Don't get me wrong. You need to have some sort of variation of movement that you swap in that mimics it in some form. So... With a, with a barbell squat, you need to either leg press or hack squat or um, or with a oh, deadlift. Yeah. I love them. I know. There's horrible movement as well, Bulgarian split squats. Yeah. So we'll get, we'll get on to mine then. Um, so I made so many mistakes and so many errors as well. And part of the beauty of this conversation, I think, is that hopefully, depending on what stage you're at or if one of these resonates with you in terms of something you're currently doing, we're going to tell you that it's probably not something that's worthwhile and there's another option for you. And uh, yeah. the first one of mine links in a little bit with what you were talking about when it comes to calories and protein. So when I started to get quite into the gym, probably sixth year at school when I was really trying to get bigger for rugby, I, I was going to play, uh, I had one more year left of junior rugby and I was like, I need to get bigger before I move up to the, the men's team. And I, yeah. I found out that protein was the important macronutrient I didn't know it was a macronutrient, obviously, but I just knew that protein was the important thing to eat. So I was eating a lot of protein. But I had no consideration in terms of calorie balance. I just knew that I had to eat lots of this protein. And I knew some of the things that had protein in it. So chicken, protein shakes. Um, I even thought things like porridge, which is a carbohydrate, had protein in it. Because I was just, I was just so... I was, the information out there was really limited. And I was kind of just getting advice off the guys at the rugby club gym or guys that were at school. And I used to think that it was pretty much a free macro so that you, you could have as much protein as you wanted or you could have as much as you wanted and you wouldn't gain any fat. You would only gain muscle. Now, yeah. there is some evidence, and you and I spoke about this offline, that protein metabolizes a little bit differently to carbs and fats. And even if you have it with excessive calories, it's less likely to be stored as body fat, which, is, which isn't a caveat. However, for the vast majority of us, if you're overeating, you're probably overeating carbs, protein, and fat. And yeah. 
protein is not a freebie and you actually need a little bit less than you need. So my lunch at school and probably first year at uni, I would buy these packs of plain chicken from Asda. It was either 250 grams or there was a 400 gram pack, depending on how much money I had. And I would eat this pack of like cooked raw, like cooked cold chicken, yeah. 250 grams or three or 400 grams, which would be like either like 45 grams of protein or like 70 or 80. And I would just yeah. ran that down. In like, and I, I was having lots of other meals similar to that with like tons of protein. And I just didn't understand that I needed to have lots of carbs as well to feel my training. I needed fats. I needed to monitor what my total expenditure, total intake was for the day. And I was just convinced that the more protein I ate, the more muscle I would gain. So that was a, yeah. that was a, a, a big error. Whereas now, what kind of intakes do you have your, your clients on, David? You, you'll set them a goal based on their body weight. Yeah, so for females, we typically go weight in pounds multiplied by between 0.8 and 1.1. Um, the higher end, the 1.1, is for those that are kind of a little bit more trained. Um, so let's say you're, you know, 140 pounds, multiply that by 1.1. It's, I don't know, probably 155 maybe. Um, so, and then for males, we typically go 0.9 to 1.2 multiplied by their weight in pounds. So, yeah, usually like someone like my, me, I weigh 80 kilo. Again, I'm strange. Like I take my own weight in kilo, but I figure out everything else in pounds. I'm the like, same. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm typically between, anywhere between 170 and 200 for me, I'm happy with. But 200 is actually quite high. Like it's unnecessary. I just enjoy um, pretty high protein foods. It fills you up, doesn't it? But that's that's a helpful recommendation for anyone. So if you take your weight in pounds and you times it by either 0 0.8 or 0 0.9 or up, all the way up to 1.2 or 1.1, uh, then you will yeah. get a rough range for how much protein you should have per day. And anything above that is probably excessive unless you've got a preference for doing that to keep you full or for a particular goal that you've got. But yeah, it's not a free macro like I thought it was. Although it does metabolize yeah. slightly differently as a caveat. Yeah, like you said, like the actual thermic effect of it is a little bit, you know, bigger. Less so than a lot of people believe. Though there's a lot of evidence coming out to unsupport that to an extent. So basically, like, for your body to burn carbs and fats, it's a little bit slower than to burn protein. So you'll, you'll basically burn protein a little bit faster. So that's what Colin means there by um, it's less of a bad one to overconsume on almost yep. like you're you're gonna gain a little bit more benefit from it um and the other the other thing i suppose we could touch on real quick is like muscle protein synthesis which is you know the optimal amount of protein that you should be consuming and this is like an, a very argued subject but that's why you know like if colin was maybe only having a, a small protein amount with breakfast but then he's getting you know 70 80 grams later in the day that's not actually that as optimal as it could be for building muscle, you should be looking to split your protein intake um, across the day. So if you are eating 150 grams of protein, you will get more of a benefit from having, you know, five meals of 30 grams than you would from having three meals of 50 grams. But these are very, like, intricate. Like, you don't need to worry that much. Providing your overall calories, overall protein, like we said previous, are hit, you're golden. But, I mean, if you're really serious about building muscle, well, don't listen to me because <laughs> I ain't got that much, but um, you should probably be splitting your intake, you know, that little bit more evenly. Yeah, spot on. So the second one for me is not a nutrition one. It's more of a training one. And this was one of the ones that actually caused me problems pretty much up until this day, because when I started, I did far too much pressing. So we spoke about with David, the chest day Monday, 
even outside of that, when I was doing full body stuff with strength and conditioning with rugby, there was a lot of bench press. There was a lot of overhead press, behind the neck press. And even like just standing uh, single dumbbell press and stuff like that compared to pulling movements. So we did quite a lot of pull-ups, but we hardly did any rows. We didn't do an awful lot of heavy pulls off the floor, so heavy deadlifts or barbell rows or lap pull-downs or kind of cable rows and contractions. So my pressing strength for my age versus my pulling strength was significant. So I developed quite significant imbalances between my chest and my upper and mid back. And there was no external rotation exercise for my shoulder or my rotator cuff. And I effectively ended up with a bit of that kind of rounded. We've all seen the guys in the gym that kind of rounded forward shoulder look with an overdeveloped front and an underdeveloped back. And it's not aesthetic and it's also terrible for performance, posture and just general health. And I got a real impingement in my shoulder. So basically, the front of my shoulder was coming round and in towards my chest. And it meant I was getting impingement. Playing a contact sport like rugby, disastrous because you're hitting your shoulder all the time, using it to tackle or be tackled. And I also played scrum half primarily at this point. So the role there is you're passing the ball from the floor a lot of the time. And your hand comes up the back of the ball and across in a repetitive motion which basically just meant that your shoulder was coming round and round and round. So I would wake up the next day in agony. But I was going to the gym four days a week and still just pressing and pressing and pressing. And it was so bad for me. And the thing that I learned was in order to be in a healthy position, particularly in the lifestyles that we live, where we're sat down, where we're working at our desks, or we're sat down, we're driving or commuting on the train, is that you need to train your back and do a lot more pulling movements than you do pressing because you're going to create imbalances. And I don't know if you ever struggled with that, David, but my my front of my body was far stronger than the back of my body was. It's the opposite now because I've rectified it and I've worked really hard on it, but I really struggled with that. Yeah, it's not something I've experienced massively. Like I I was a big favour of doing chest and back sessions as well. So like combined. Um, And I think from like, always you know squatting and deadlifting putting a big focus on it you, you develop a lot of upper back strength through that as well so no it's not something i've really struggled with like i've got a decent chest and back it's probably like weaker body parts from you would be something like shoulders or you know cast or something like that uh so now nah, like i've never had that kind of major imbalance i would have said but you know like i know so many young guys specifically do um and the same actually we could we could talk about females and in, in the sense that they train so much glutes and that is it you do need a well-balanced physique from like a um overall development standpoint and actually for females that want to grow your glutes and to grow your bums like working on your upper body is going to help massively because it's going to allow you to actually lift more across like, you know certain exercise you'll be able to squat more if you've got a stronger upper body you'll be able to deadlift more if you've got a stronger upper body hip thrust yeah Actually, you know, hip thrust as well, because you need to look at your back, your upper back supporting yourself yep. um, as well. And if you've got a stronger upper back, it's a better shelf and it's going it's to make things easier. So, yeah, I think from male and female, um, guys specifically probably need to pull more and train legs more. And females need to focus still on upper body, even if they just want a nice bum and nice abs. Upper body work um, is, is of an important stuff. Yeah, it's that, it's that whole rounded program approach that we spoke about when we are talking about uh, training splits and for me I made a big mistake and basically it got to a stage where 
I, tr- I did one chest movement and one shoulder press movement a week for two years. Wow. And uh, basically just had to work on my back. Now, my back's a massive aesthetic strength now and a um, performance strength as well in terms of the weight I can move versus... So if I train pull with somebody, they're like, oh, you're pretty strong for your weight. But if I train push with somebody, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, yeah. I'm not as impressive. Um, but it's definitely helped. And like I say, the lifestyle that we lead where we're all sitting, we tend to have a bias towards our shoulders rounding forward. So having a strong, powerful upper back is definitely going to translate well into posture and general health as well, especially if you're yeah. somebody that sits down, sits down all the time. So if we move on to, on to my number three, and uh, I'm surprised we didn't touch on this, David, but you probably had this as well, unless you were really well coached at a young age. But progressive overload. I, yeah. I knew that you wanted to get stronger. That much was obvious. Because in the gym, you want to move more weights. You want to move up from the... You want to move from curling the 10s to curling the 12s because that'll impress the girls at, at school that you can do that. But I didn't understand the different methodologies in order to generate progressive overload because there's far more than just being able to do the 12s rather than the 10s so i wish that i'd known about being able to increase volume being able to increase the weight being able to increase the reps i was lifting being able to increase the this number of sets i was doing having better tempo improving the form to stimulate the muscles better or even even small things like reducing the rest time that you're resting between sets so you're getting more work within your allocated time or your allocated session so for me i wish i'd known earlier about progressively overloading my training because i probably could have got stronger and then with that more results quicker yeah no i'd completely agree i i think because i was training for sport i didn't know what progressive overload was but i always had weight targets and you were probably similar when you were saying you know get up from the 10s to the 12 so yeah i think a lot of people even if they don't know what progressive overload is or how to complete it um, or you know, not complete it, but how to how to utilize it. Um, people do it anyway because they set themselves like, oh, I want to be able to squat 100, deadlift 120, bench 100. So they do set themselves those targets, which is good to work towards. But yeah, I, I think a lot of people are caught up on using lifting more weight as the only way to progressively overload your training. And now more than ever, with um, the current climate and people doing home workouts, they've had to get creative with regarding progressive overload. So. They've had to, you know, work on doing high volume, work on technique, working time under tension is just the most brutal way to train or actually isometrics as well. Like again, Dale's Instagram is full of, you know, towel isometric exercises, which you guys should check them out. Um, so yeah, like there, there are a lot more other ways to progress your training rather than just increasing weight. With that being said, from like an ego standpoint and from like a feel good factor, there's nothing better than you know, being able to have a PB, you, you'll, you'll find less people boast about, oh, I got um, I got an extra rep on a single arm row, so I can now do 13 with 40 kilo, rather than, you know, I can bench 120 kilo, I can deadlift 300 kilo, like people are more inclined to, to um, boast about one rep maxes, but I think, you know, boasting about 8, 12, 15 rep maxes is just as important as well, so don't just look at you know, those, those lower numbers for strength. Yeah, when it, when it comes to aesthetics, one of the things that definitely served me well was completely detaching my ego from a one rep max. I couldn't tell you the last time I tested a one rep max, but I can tell you right now in my logbook what my maximum is for like 
rep range dumbbell. Yeah, like like I, seeing the twelve to fifteen rep range, like I like I come alive. That's where my performance is based yep. because I hate training anything under six reps. So uh, I'm like, uh, I'm gonna do. Yeah, I'm a fan. I'm all fan. I know you are. So yeah, progressive overload that would definitely help me. And although I was appreciative, like you said, of wanting to be move up a set of dumbbells or put another plate on the side, if I'd known the different methodologies that I could use, like adding a couple of reps, adding another set or whatever, then I think I could have progressed a lot quicker. Number four is is nutrition related and. If you haven't made this mistake, you're very lucky because the misinformation that was available through things like Men's Health or even YouTube at the time, on particular, if you stumbled across the wrong the wrong sources, was around the kind of good foods and bad foods. And even if if, if you don't consume decent sources nowadays, if you don't consume decent sources nowadays, the mainstream media like your your Daily Mail articles or your Scottish Sun articles that go viral on uh, on online or or in the newspaper, are all about bad foods or cut out sugar or cut out fat or cut out white carbs. And the mistakes that I made were particularly around carbs. And we I know we've spoken about the benefits of fat, but I was scared of particular carbs for a period of time. In terms of, yeah. I would say to my mum like, "Oh, I don't want white bread," or we can have brown pasta, but not but not white pasta, and we can't have a uh, white rice or basmati but we can have whole grain and yeah. uh, this was a t- this was just such a silly thing and the other one that was linked to carbs was i would have no carbohydrates on rest days because i wasn't using them if i wasn't training and yeah. although we've spoken about the benefits of like fats and i definitely found that when i was eating higher fats on the rest days like cognitive function was great and i could get a lot of work done and you never crash because sometimes yeah. after carbs you can have a, a bit of a slump I was so bad for like certain foods being scared of and you leave a lot of performance on the table and you also look so flat when you avoid certain carbs and equally when you do a diet like that or you do an approach like that when you get access to that food one your body doesn't like it in terms of digestion it really struggles and you are going to be on the pan dealing with that but also from like a almost like a binge eating or like a, I would maybe a binge would be a strong term for it, but like an overeating or a struggling to like control yourself when you get access to that food, really bad. So I would be like terrified of white potato. But if I went to a restaurant and had chips, I'd be like, oh goodness me, like get me another portion of them. And I just couldn't stop because you were deprived of it. And it's a really unhealthy mindset. So I wish I knew sooner that there's not really any bad foods. Like you say, we want to favor those whole, whole, food, whole food sources, but ultimately it comes down to calories when, when we're talking about body comp. Yeah, I've, I've, actually, I've definitely went full circle with this point, if I'm being honest, because I was in a very similar mindset of there, there's you know white bread and um, sugars and things like that are bad for you. So I definitely did eliminate them in the very kind of early one to two years of training. And then I found out about flexible dieting and if it fits for macros. And I was like, wow, I can actually fit this food in and get and the same results. And you took the piss. Yeah. <laughs> in the last two years, I'm probably swaying back to like from a, from a like performance standpoint and from a general health. I'm, I suppose I'm probably more health conscious now than I was than than I'm you know body composition focused so I focus on like you know how I actually feel after eating foods whereas I didn't 
giving a shit in the past as long as I could eat them. Like, I didn't really care. So, um, yeah, I think I went full circle. I don't eliminate them. Like, I, I can always incorporate things like that within my diet, but I would be more inclined to choose cleaner sources on the most part now than I was three, four years ago. And I think you're, you're quite similar. Like, you're very, you've got a very high quality f- foods diet like you eat very good sources but don't get me wrong you're like you love you know council pops and you love things like protein bars i don't touch anymore because they just don't agree with me um whereas you know some people like live off them you're so right and i think do you know we're almost lucky to have had these mistakes and i know we're saying to people that are listening to this hopefully if you're maybe making these mistakes at the moment or you're yet to get to this stage then hopefully don't make these mistakes but we're quite lucky from that experience to have known how it feels to do these different things, like how it feels to do these daft chest days, how it feels to yeah. eliminate these foods. Because do you know what? When I was eliminating those foods, I was testing my willpower. And you know what? I was pretty adherent apart from the times yeah. that I go to a restaurant. And that adherence and ability to just do stuff that's quite fucking hard yeah. transfers over. Because see, when you get the information that it turns out you can sometimes yeah. have these foods, you're like, wow, this dieting game's a whole lot easier than I thought. And I'm yeah. not going to belittle yeah. people and tell them it's easy, but it's easier than it can be. I think that, that transfers to training as well. Like, I used to train like a fucking demon. Sorry for my language, but like, I used to train so hard and I don't now, and I can still get similar results. Do you know what I mean? So, like, it, it kind of shows, like, and, and it shows the dedication and stuff that I had back then that I probably don't have or need now towards my training. Um, but yeah, it definitely teaches you a lot about yourself, putting yourself through these sessions or putting yourself through these diets. And then maybe you learn and you realize you don't need to do it that way. But you've also learned how disciplined you can be when when you need to be. So, no, I think that's that's a very true point. So, as much as we're trying to steer you guys clear of maybe not making these mistakes, you'll make your own other ones anyway that might teach you something that you can teach someone else. So, like, they're always, especially for, like, me being, I suppose you're, you're an educator as well with, you know, social media and content-wise. But, like, myself trying to educate, you know, four or 500 clients, it's really good to have made these mistakes myself um but there's loads of things that i know that someone's taught me because they've made those mistakes as well so it's good you know to, to, to get a different person's perspective yeah that's such a good point david and I, I guess to to go back to the point around the diets that we both choose nowadays where it's predominantly whole foods even though we know that you can incorporate white bread yeah. or uh, protein bars is probably an extreme example but yeah i, I know there's days when from a a digestion perspective a protein bar is the last thing that i need because sometimes yeah. i can't handle it other days other days goes down fine but equally when you're on higher calories sometimes you do need to have the kind of the more white rice or because it's easier to get to, to get down really? if i have yeah. 150 grams of uncooked white rice i can get that down easier than i can get down 150 grams of uncooked whole grain rice yeah. because the fiber in the whole grain rice will kill me but I can get the, but equally, that that kind of is earned, not given, based on the amount of calories that I have to eat. Yeah, so I think that's that's an important point to touch on in the sense that if you are on lower calories, your food sources naturally should be cleaner. If yeah. you are lucky enough to to diet on higher calories, then you've got more, you've got more freedom, you've got more leeway. So, and it's the same if me and you were to diet. Like I guarantee, at the start of your dieting phase, there's well, there's more room for, you know bad food sources I say bad in inverted commas but um, there's more there's more um, opportunity to have them and then when you get to the last you know two weeks of your dieting phase it's probably just I want to stay full so I want to eat high fiber I want to eat lots of veggies 
I don't want to consume food sources that will not fill me up. So it's more, yeah, I think that's that's an interesting point. You you do change the food choices based on the stage that you're at within your dieting phase. Yeah, hunger comes into it, like you say. Last last one for me, although I'll give you a bonus one at the end that David and I had a laugh about earlier. The last the last the, the, the last the last one for me is back to training. And there was a period probably would have been 2013 was the first time that I'd kind of was decided I'm going to get really lean before that I'd been like I'm going to get massive for rugby I kind of I'd had a few shoulder injuries that I've spoken about and I got to the end of my rugby career and in the summer of 2013 I decided I'm going to get a six-pack I'm going to get these really good abs and I just trained every day I trained seven days a week and I was I can't even remember exactly what my split was it wasn't a bro split but it was like legs uh legs and shoulder press movement uh back and back and biceps arms and delts and then or side delts and rear delts and then legs and um legs and chest movement and i would just repeat that and i just didn't have a rest day i remember i trained for something like six or seven weeks straight because i was i'm gonna do a six week prep although i didn't know what a prep was but i decided this was a prep um, yeah. And I just trained every day. And even as I got more knowledgeable, there was a slight probably exercise addiction um, uh, element to it. Although I'm not going to belittle anyone that has something as serious as that. There was an element of that to me wanting to train every day because I felt that more was better. If I was resting, then I wasn't going to get bigger muscles. Whereas we've spoken about the recovery element. Your second point was all about sleep, recovering, looking after yourself. I was fogging myself seven days and wondering why sometimes I couldn't lift more on the on the lunges this week because I'd done lunges three times that week already and I'd gone to failure, so I was broken. <laughs> I think that's a great point to be honest. And I think it's um it's one of those ones that you just learn when you're younger because you can also you can also handle more training like that when you're younger. Yeah. Not that either of us are particularly old, do you know what I mean? Like we're still pretty much in our prime for if we were to be doing sport right now, we'd be in our absolute prime. Um, but yeah, I remember being, you know, uh, between 15 and probably eight, probably 19, between 15 and 19, like I was the same, like I used to train twice a day. I used to do all these crazy yeah. sessions, run to the gym, do legs and run back. Like how? I have no idea. Um, so yeah, I think that's an important factor in, in the sense that you, you do need rest days. How many is dependent on what stage you're at in your journey. It's dependent on how you train, the style of training that you do, but yeah, I think like most young guys go through that and it's like you touched on it's it's an enjoyment factor like i like the gym one from a social standpoint i like it because i feel good after i'm after i've done and you know you're improving yourself so it's like you're making progress and you know what i say colin progress is happiness um so i think it's yeah it's definitely like if you enjoy it like go for it but could you maybe be using the gym sessions if you're going to go every day to do something a little bit more beneficial whether it's doing a cardio day and you know or maybe doing some mobility on one of the days or doing um i don't know you could be doing plyometrics or something one day i don't know you could you could be doing different things it doesn't necessarily need to be seven weight training sessions that's such a good point because if you do want it like you say you want to go from a social perspective for your mental health i mean during this period we're certainly seeing people um struggle to deal with the the gym closures because it was their it was their space and their time to deal with it but like you say socially as well if you're going to go and train seven days like David said, make sure they're not all seven or weight training sessions because you, you're not going to make the progress you need to do. Do a plyometrics day, do a mobility day, do a um, 
do a cardio day, do an engine day, for whatever you want to call it that makes you feel like it's a worthwhile day and a worthwhile session, do something different because you're not going to thank yourself for doing another arm session or another chest session or another, another back and bicep session because it's not actually going to benefit your muscle growth because they need to rest, they need to recover. Yeah, and I mean, cardio can actually be a really good tool. I was very anti-cardio back in the day, but cardio can be a really good tool for recovery from weight training sessions. So don't, um, don't dismiss that as a, as a style of training because it's not going to make you gains. Your heart is a muscle. Like If you can improve on your you know, cardiovascular health and you can improve the size and the strength of your heart, it's going to then have a carryover to your weight workouts. And as a coach, Eugene... I don't know how you say his name, Coach Eugene Tiao, um, done a really good video on cardiovascular training for weight training and for you to like um for you to benefit from it from a weight training standpoint. So um I'll I'll leave it on one of the one of your comments or something, Colin. People can have a look at it. Uh, it's a really good video. It fully translates though. If you if you've got a good cardio engine, you're gonna be more um efficient in that twelve to twenty rep range, or you're gonna be efficient on set number three of the 12 rep set because you're not you're not absolutely gassed from the first two maybe your muscles are taxed but your cardiovascular is still ticking over and ready so that 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 point definitely overlaps with the second one that you spoke about in sleep recovery and looking after yourself because ultimately it's not just about how many days a week am i going in there and smashing my my, my weight sessions yeah definitely. So, so that's us covered our uh our, our 10 David quite a lot within that and I guess is a little bit of a bonus one I told David this but we decided not to give a whole section towards it but a chap that I used to play golf with and he might well be listening to this he's a, he's a, he's a, he's a really good guy he was a couple of years older than me and he was really into his, into his gym and he told me that if you were going to train legs in particular you or you were going to play sport that day you shouldn't masturbate or have sex or or basically orgasm because it would reduce your performance particularly and if you were training legs because if you were orgasming your legs would shake or something like that and they'd be weaker and you wouldn't be able to produce as much force and david i swear to god i built a habit and you know everyone loves i know habits where i would never even think about doing something like that on a leg day and even now i probably don't do it just because i'm like I don't want to do that. It's really important. I don't yeah. do that. It's like an ingrained habit. Yeah, I said to you earlier when we spoke, like, I need to find the research that I looked into. But it's basically like male and females are different on this subject, and females can actually benefit from, you know, reaching climax or having an orgasm before training because it actually increases their test levels. I think this is what it is. Yeah. Uh, and males can not benefit. It's one of these like weird science programs. I also think. I remember reading that one of them has changed as well. So that's maybe something for us to all look into after this. Does masturbation help with weight training? That can be that can be a podcast episode, mate. You can get a sex specialist on for that. Um, I'm gonna have to see, see, see I'm googling David to find somebody to come on for that. People are gonna be yeah. like, "What have you been searching, Colin? That is yeah. disgusting." <laughs> Who would actually be qualified? It'd probably be a sports scientist rather than a sex specialist, or if anyone. Anyway. If anyone knows the answer to that or has heard about this particular theory before, please get into David and I's DMs on Instagram and explain like, what the logic is behind it. Point, is, point yeah. is in the right direction. So speaking of uh, finding you on Instagram, David, for those that haven't connected with you before, where, where do they need to go for you and for your business? 
Uh, well, I've changed my handle actually since last time. So for um for my personal brand Instagram, it's just dhat h a t t underscore m t n, and for MTN's Instagram handle, it's mtn underscore coaching. For our website, just www.mtncoaching.com. Uh, you'll find a lot of kind of products and services on that, guys, as well, since the last podcast. All we really had to offer last time was online coaching. We've kind of developed across the board. We've got a lot of different projects on the go. We've got a lot of different info products. So uh, definitely check them out if you want any advice on maybe what you should be doing for training, whether it's fat loss, muscle building, then reach out, drop me a message. I'm more than happy to jump in a quick call if that's what it needs um, or just, you know, send you in the right direction of what you should be what you should be doing perfect david all of that will be linked in the show notes below if you were too lazy to write any of that down if you're still with us at this point and you've enjoyed the the 10 things that we've covered or the bonus 11th as well pop a screenshot on your instagram story tag david tag myself i cannot wait for your feedback and thank you all for your continued support of the podcast i'll be back to speak to you all again very very soon